We all have fearful thoughts that limit our lives and we make decisions accordingly. How much better would life be if we exchange those fears for perfect love and truth? Just saying this feels freeing. Welcome to the Abundantly Me podcast with Tara Olette. She's a life coach, speaker, teacher, and writer. It has been so cool to witness how aware Tara is to God's love as she flips the script of fear, inspiring us to live abundantly. And this is my dear friend, Laura Fonseca, who is the producer of this life-giving podcast. I'm delighted to share space with her as she joyfully depends on God's voice and the written word to love others well within the mysteries of life. Okay, ready to flip the script? Oh, it's time. Let's go. question for you, Tara. Yes. How do you feel when asked the question, what do you do? Well, I used to feel more confident about it when I was a principal of an elementary school. I would just simply say, I'm a principal of an elementary school. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Um, yeah. Well, now that I left my job a year ago, <clears throat> I sometimes I don't know what to write like yes. on forms at the doctor's office. What yes. do you do? What's your occupation? <laughs> what did you write? Um, well, this summer I wrote farmer a couple times just because I thought it was funny and I was working at a farm, but I was like, huh, what do I do? Yes. And even though I've been in my choice career the last, well, since 2015, no, that's not true because it changed a bunch, but I've been in this choice career as a life coach for a handful of years, but still just writing life coach doesn't seem like it fits what I do. So it'll be a great conversation today, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just uh, pressing into this, what do you do, do topic, you do? and how we're motivated for even choosing what it is that we do, mm-hmm. which is probably where the majority of the conversation is going to come from, Right. what motivates us to make that choice. But before we dive into that conversation, we need an update on the, the wheel, wheel of fear. <laughs> and it was your turn, so go yes, ahead. it was. <laughs> All right. Well, in all full disclosure, I had it on the, I had the slice on the, this, what do I call it? A slice? Slice <laughs> of the wheel. A piece of the wheel of fear. And it was in regard to my health care. Uh, if I'm going to completely pivot. And um, I had that on the wheel of fear for quite some time. And um, I already needed to make a decision, but I had it on the wheel of fear because I felt like I kept it there because I felt like it would be a good topic to talk about Mm -hmm. when needed. But it was a fearful move for me to make. Um, So being diagnosed with this brain disease, um, idiopathic hypersomnia, I went against the route that the MDs wanted me to just choose a, a a medication to help me fall asleep or a medication to help me stay awake all day. And both could have high side effects and um, some addicting factors. And then I also learned that after a while, the body becomes acclimated to those meds and it doesn't work any longer. And so I just truly felt, considering all the situations, all of the facts that I was researching, the MDs were telling me about, even some DO, a DO, a doctor of osteo, uh, DO. Anyway, I'm not going to try to name it right now. (laughs) Let's just say DO. Um, uh, I really felt this spiritual sense of peace to first and foremost put my uh, 
my food choice, my diet, my nutrition front and center. And I'm a pretty healthy eater to begin with. But I just felt like, what if I am messing with my brain health based on my gut health and what I'm eating? So I went to a nutritionist and then I went to this other person um, called a naturopath. And it's an expensive out-of-pocket process. And both people just did a beautiful job giving me more information than the medical field, like the MDs gave me. They didn't dig deep at all. It was Mm. just like, here's a diagnosis based on your symptoms. And these other two gave me answers and dug deep and gave me some possible solutions that might be the undercurrent as to why I am experiencing deep, deep uh, uh, like insomnia and... I want to sleep all day. I want to stay awake all night. I can't function. I'm a highly, you know, high functioning person, but all I could do was sleep and barely hold a conversation and like I <laughs> couldn't even come up with choice words. Um, so um, it's very nerve wracking to not do what might be successful in the medical professional world, but I took the risk and spent months and months and months on taking care of my gut health. And it worked. It worked so well, but I also needed to stay on these expensive supplements. Mm -hmm. The supplements got up to $1,000. Yeah, man. And that was like, yes, that was three to five months. That wasn't just for one month. And that's that's not a easy, like, oh yeah, absolutely. So I can stay out of bed. I mean, I have two kids in college. I have another child who plays travel sports. My husband and I have dreams and desires and things that, you know, so that's not an easy thing just to say, do I or do not I not keep up with these supplements? So I did make that appointment and I just decided again to go with my spiritual, like divine wisdom, tons of prayer. Um, I love reading the book of Proverbs right now because it just is reminding me if we bring all things to Christ all things to divine wisdom, like there is a connectivity between God's wisdom and our body wisdom. And I felt a sense of peace to just stop for a while. And I've actually been doing well. That's great. Like it's weird. It could be that I've been so diligent for a a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Like you you interact with me a lot. Mm -hmm. And I've been cheating, like not cheating. I don't want to say that. I've been introducing some foods and having a little bit more, but I have been 100% spot on with this nutritional diet plan that's just very specific to my body. And it has really flipped the script of my health. Um, So I was nervous, but I took the supports away and just am still paying attention to my nutritional health. And I'm doing pretty good. That's great. So I am scared because why wouldn't I be afraid of of like, oh, I could end up without the supports of the supplements. I could end up mm-hmm. um, bedridden. Yeah. Or <laughs> I can't hold a conversation to save my life. And I'm like, burr, 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 but. But it seems like the changes you've made in eating and what you're eating has made such a big difference. And you're going to continue yeah. with that? Because I feel like it's been like a lifestyle change. It's yeah, like, it's for sure it has. It's like... I mean, we, we're social together. <clears throat> you see how many no's I have to like. I cannot have any of that stuff. I have to be really diligent 
But those no's gave me really fat, juicy, <laughs> um, really great yeses. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to stay true to that. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I may have to go back on supports when my body tells me, but it was really cool to be able to ask God to trust my body wisdom, to go against the medical professional. Like I really respect, um, doctors and, uh, what they have to say about things, but my God is the greatest physician. So here we go. Even though it's scary. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking. All right. Okay. On today's topic. Today's topic. So it, so we had a little conversation prior to recording because we wanted to see like, I don't know, we just wanted to plan out a little bit of what some of the big um, pivotal, like what are the big nuggets of this conversation of what do you do that is, um, you know, needing to be discussed. It's really about flipping the script in our head. <clears throat> about why we made the choices we made, you and I, mm-hmm. for our careers. Mm-hmm. And then when we were chatting about it, like so much great conversation. We just talked about so many things and uncovered so many lies and limiting beliefs. And we're going to just let the conversation go where it needs to. But do you mind starting with your backstory? Mm. And so what we're going to specifically focus on is when we were like, Late high school, 18, 19, 20 into college, and because both of us did choose to go to college, and then in college, like what motivated us? Sometimes we don't even know what motivates us. It's our belief system that motivates us to make the decisions we're going to make. So we're talking about our very early young adult life. Uh So what motivated you to make Either the career choice, but also what made what motivated you even to choose college? Mm, interesting. I never in like growing up, college was so like just the next step. I never even thought that there was like it never occurred to me that I would not go to college or that I would stay home for college. Even like I mm. always knew I would go out of the house, out of the house, <clears throat> go away. stay away at school. Um, and it's not like I was super smart or got great grades. I mean, I was a pretty average student. I think I graduated with like a three, four, maybe three, five <laughs> after digging myself out of a hole my freshman year. Oh, um, I won't tell you what my GPA is. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> was, but it was just always, that's what we were going to do is go to college. So I really yeah. wanted to go, um, far away. Okay. I just was ready for independence. Yeah. You know? Um, so my goal was to go to Arizona state. Something was just drawing me out to the desert. All right. Um, but I stayed in state. For my first year, my mom had asked me to stay in state for my first year. I think she was really nervous about what college life would be like for me. Um, So I went to Western my freshman year, and then I transferred to Arizona State. And I loved Western, too. Go go Broncos. All right. I know you're a Bronco. Yes. My child's there now. So what my career was, was I was in sales for 19 years um, right out of college. And at first, I sold advertising in radio and television. And then I went on to sell medical devices uh, for 12 years. Okay. Pause. Yes. Because I want to pick your brain Mm because I know things that aren't, that haven't come up yet that I think are really important. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So you were motivated from high school to college. College was a next step, no matter what. Yeah. That wasn't an issue. Mm -hmm. But you were motivated first by being independent. 
Oh, yeah. Like, okay. it wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to go to college and learn. No, it was like, <laughs> I can't wait to get out of my house and be somewhere yes. else. Yeah. Okay. And just in case the listeners, hello, friends, don't know. So I've got two kids in college now. You have two girls that are high school, middle and, school. Yep. And so what I really appreciate about this conversation is we're lamenting and processing and reflecting, not always yeah. lamenting, but we're reflecting, reflecting. as as those independent right. 18 year olds uh-huh. that know exactly what we need to do for ourselves. And we're parents who are holding space for the for our children who are saying much of the same things yeah. or about to say much of the same things. So I find this space I'm in really interesting. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to really pick your brain on okay. this. So your motivation was pure independence. Absolutely. Not a drive for what you were meant to do not necess- as an adult. Yeah, not necessarily. I did. So I did have this dream of wanting to make documentaries, wanting to like tell stories. And I, I had a... Um, like a desire to work on camera or even behind the scenes. Like I liked that world. And so like broadcasting was the degree that you chose. Right. That would allow some of that to take shape. Right. And then, and then I use it as an excuse too, because Arizona state has a great broadcasting. They have the Walter Cronkite school of broadcasting. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to Arizona state. They've got this great program. Um, so that was, like if I had to pick something, that's kind of what I picked in my head. Yeah. Like, okay. okay. Now I've got a purpose for going to Arizona. It's not like I'm just going because okay. I want to get away so bad. So when we were talking earlier, you had said to me that as as kids do, it's like we kind of we don't have language for it. Obviously, we're amplifying it now because we're in reflection. Hindsight is twenty twenty. So, but at that point, knowing college is going to be the next step wanting independence and doing anything that you needed to do for independence. However, there were limited, there were lies you were believing and personal limitations that you put upon yourself. Um, So let's pause there and talk about some of those. So you were excited about independence and to college was going to be that vehicle. It mm-hmm. wasn't going to be the military. It wasn't going to be through inheriting, you know, money. Right. It wasn't going to be, you know, stepping into a career right away. Yeah. So college was your route to independence. Yeah. And it was like a I mean that's what that's what my mom wanted me to do. So I was like, well perfect. It's a win win. You know, she wants me to go to college and and I want independence. Mm. So it was the perfect Okay. That was the next option. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, choosing your choosing your career was based on some of the true desires that you had. Right. What were some other desires you had that you did not choose to do? Um, so broadcasting, right, was well, for X reasons, right? That you mentioned. Well, fashion design was. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, what we talked about. Yeah, yeah. So that was what I like. I grew up drawing dresses and being Me so obsessed too. with like, I thought that that's what I was going to go into was fashion design. Mm. But then when it came down to it and I was looking at schools, I don't know, it just seemed too competitive. It seemed too uncertain to mm-hmm. like make a go of it. 
and I didn't know. And maybe like looking back, I just really didn't have that fire in me that really yeah. wanted that. That's what we were talking about. So, so it's like you're, you know, and the reason I'm picking around so much is I know what my kids are going through and I know what they went through to make a decision as to the, the heaviness, the, the weightiness of the decision of what am I going to be when I grow up. Mm-hmm. So here we're talking about what do you do? Because that's a question. That's a question we ask all the time when we're getting to know somebody. Yeah. It's like one of the top questions, if not the number one. And then children in their teens and young adult going into possibly as college and next step, the, the heaviness for them is, so what do you want to be when you grow up? What college are you going to go to? What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, do you, I mean, even me saying that, I feel the weight of that. Yeah. And the pressure of like, what's your purpose? You have to have it all figured out at this age. So here we are picking your brain as if you were that 18-year-old. And it's like, I don't know. I, I do like I draw dresses. So do I want to be in fashion? Does, do I want to be a designer? Right. You know, and then I heard you use the language earlier that was like something like, well, I'm not good enough. I don't want to compete with others who are probably exceptional at that. It's like this, the, that's the script that you're rehearsing in your head. You're just right. reading what you believe. Mm-hmm. So then it made you not choose it. And I, and then that's where it's like, well, maybe it isn't really that lie you're believing that you can't. It's just, you may not have that fire in your belly to really put yourself through school to do that. Yeah. So that was a no. Right. And like the broadcasting really interests me because I was interested in news. Um, my mom was a, was a first, second grade teacher for years and she had a student whose mother was, um, Sherry Margolis, you know, so she's like a... Yeah. A newswoman, I forget if she was on okay. Fox 2 or what she was on, but a local news yeah. person, and she was wonderful. And she let me come when I was in high school and, like, shadow her once. And so oh. I got to meet, like, the whole crew, and I got to see how they work behind the scenes. And it was that was really okay. um, kind of a motivating factor for me for the broadcasting degree because I was like, that is – that's cool. I like what they're doing. Um, that's neat. Yeah. So you had – cool experiences in your life as a high schooler to set to to check that right fire in your belly like yeah. if it's if it kind of um encouraged you or excited you or you had a point of curiosity it's like oh maybe i'll yeah. do that so so let's also get into the the kind of the rough of the decisions because you're in the hot seat now i'll, I I'll know. Be, thanks for that you're welcome <laughs> and then i'll be in the hot seat next but it, but there are additional lies that you totally believed that not only the script in your head, but you, it's as if you handed the script to other people in your life and were like, okay, this is the role you play. These are the lines you read because that's the story I have in my mind in this family dynamic, in society, in your community, in your high school. So what were some of the negative beliefs that you had about yourself that motivated you to choose what you did choose. Well, I think that I had a I had a major desire to be successful and success in my mind was like equivalent to how much money you make. Yeah. Or at least in my mind I thought that was maybe the easiest way to success was like mm. for me. Mm. Um like okay, if I'm not going to become a famous fashion designer or, you know, I'm not good enough to be a news anchor person, then, you know, I can find an avenue where I can make money and then people will see that I'm successful. Yeah. And that I've you know, 
canceled out any mistakes I made in my past because look, I'm successful now. So, because yes. I, I did have like identity issues when I was in high school. We all do. You know, of course, yeah. insecurities and, um, it's like we are making up for insecurities. Mm-hmm. So if I think this lie about myself and if I know these mistakes that I made, well, then I can clean all that up and clear it all up and let society around me, my mom, my brother, my relatives, community members who are close to my family or something. Mm-hmm. I'll let them all know I'm okay. Right. That I'm better than I think in my head or that that's being portrayed or literally the voices of other people. It's not just voices we think they're saying, but the script is being said out loud. It could be a mixture. Of right. And I think college, for, like those four years in college were um, a success of their own. Like I felt like I had begun, be, like the beginning of my success, like, oh, I made it to college and I'm in college. And because that was a really big thing. I think that my mom worried that I wasn't going to make it to college or that um, right. I wouldn't do well once I was in school. And maybe she didn't. Maybe that's my narrative. But I know that there was some worries because I did struggle in school, especially my freshman year. And then it was like... A struggle with... Yeah, geez. my freshman year of high school. And then it took the rest of yes. you know high school to dig myself kind of out of the hole that You're I You're talking about made. like GPA struggle? Yeah. And just, yeah. you know, like I struggled in math so badly. Like I had to take summer school twice just mm-hmm. to like get my grade pulled up because I just felt dumb sometimes, you know, I would go to tutoring, go to all the extra help. And then I still just did not understand it. Mm. Um, yeah, man, it was such a struggle. So then when I was in college, I was like, well, I'm in college now. So at least like Mm -hmm. I am successful in the fact that I made it to where, you know, I know that my family wanted, where my family wanted me to be. Yeah. Um, So pausing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. She's dead. Okay, I, maybe I shouldn't have said so much offline. <laughs> so one of the other important factors I think we haven't naturally brought up again is the fact that your dad did die of a tragic... He, he died tragically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were... Eight. Eight. And my brother was 10. And so now it's like in this part of your life, 10 years later, that's part of like, am I going to be Okay. And so your mom is raising you on her own, if you will. You've got your brother who's doing life his way. And then you've got you as the sister and the daughter. And, you know, you and I both like the fatherless daughter stuff. And um, and it's like, there's part of this. Am I going to be all right? And, and then I'm going to... It sounded like the language we were coming up with you is like, I just want to not only prove... To myself, yeah. but to others. Yeah, for sure. Because I do feel like, you know, my dad was a big member of the community. And when he passed away, like people cared and people were, you know, checking up on us throughout the years to see, you know, how we were doing. And mm-hmm. so I did feel like I I wanted people to know that we were okay. So it was important to me to like really mm-hmm. like have a success so that people knew that, you know, we, our story ended up okay that we ended up okay that we were all right because i know the people were worried about us um so that totally played into yeah you know just it's our motivation yeah it played into my motivation without even knowing at the time and yeah it wasn't following it although i knew jesus at that age in my life i wasn't following him so i was not asking him hey you created (laughs) me creator what'd you create me for Mm. you know i wasn't asking any of those questions. And I'm going to even pick this being a life coach and working with people all the time. We also at that age from eight to 18 
to 28. We don't know. I mean, our father does play the role of speaking life and identity. And yes, it comes from our heavenly creator. And our father figure does speak into more of that. And so when we don't have that, like identity, security, protection, um, provisions coming from an earthly father. And then when we don't know, even if it's taught in our, even if we grow up in the church. Right. You did, I did Mm -hmm. not. Even if so, it's like, can our psyches hold on to that, those seeds of truth that are being planted? And it might take another 10 years for it to take root. But to not know, oh, I could ask God. Right. God speaks. Oh, hey. (laughs) Oh, that would be nice. But most people don't know that. And even if they do, it takes a while to get in the habit. Yeah. Mostly prior to 18 or before 28, you know, after 20. You know, there's just this chunk of time that, and we think we can do it on our own. Like, we got to figure it out. I know. I totally was just, yeah, on my own merits, striving to... Prove. Prove on my own, like... Mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting, just out there it? on my own. Um, yeah. Okay, I think I picked enough. Okay. <laughs> to what were the motivating... So this is, this is the premise of this podcast, right? It's like, what lies might I be believing? What are the limiting beliefs that might be holding me back or derailing me from something else maybe Mm -hmm. that is more life-giving um so here you are now choosing you went to western you tried it out because you know you and your mom are (laughs) you're coming from her family structure right right? and we're all doing the best we can as parents so her understanding was get a year under your belt in state and then go out of state so you're out of state right or arizona you choose broadcasting and yeah so I loved it I was working at the um we had a campus tv station (gasps) and so so cool I did some of the behind the scenes stuff I never did anything on air there but I was doing the behind the scenes stuff and taking all the class I I loved it I really did love it and I Mm. once you get into the program because you have to like you have to be accepted into the program and once you get in it's a Arizona State's a huge school, but the program itself is pretty small. And mm. so there were, the people that I was in school with in that program, we were like in all the same classes mm, all the way through. It cool. was a really awesome support system. But you do come to a point your junior year, at the end of the junior year, where you have to pick an emphasis either on broadcast journalism or broadcast business management. Mm. And they are just different classes and you graduate either way with a broadcasting degree, but you had to pick an emphasis. So I was always going to do journalism because that's what I was interested in. But then... Um, they had in one of our classes, they had some professionals come and speak to our classes. Um, and they had somebody to come from like all different types of broadcasting careers. So we had programmers and we had on air talent. We had, um, and we had a salesperson come in that did advertising sales. And when he came and spoke to our class, something just clicked with me because he talked. And this is, I mean, embarrassing to say what it. I was very motivated by money. He came in and he talked about how, you know, a few years after graduation, he was making six figures and he made it sound so luxurious, his job. Mm. He particularly sold radio advertising. Um, And I was like, oh, wow. And he went through the Arizona State, Mm. Walter Cronkite School. Like he was a graduate of the program and he took, had an internship, went right. His story was like, yeah, I could do that. And in my head, I was like, well, that seems the easier route to success because, Hmm in my mind, money, um, making like being financially stable 
would make me be successful. Mm. And also I know that plays into like my mom being a single parent and my dad dying young that, you know, my mom financially had to support us. Um, mm-hmm. And she did an amazing job. My mom yes. is amazing. Um, Go but in teachers. the back of my, you know, seriously, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I need to financially be able to support myself no matter what. Mm. Um, so that played into it. So right there, it was a pivot. Yeah. So you went from what you're passionate and had a fire in your belly to maybe some self-protection. Absolutely. Self-like just preservation. Mm -hmm. And then I put my priorities of success or what I thought success was over my own passions or what my Mm -hmm. own, because it was so important to me. It was so important to me to prove to everybody. Like I doubt I even needed to prove it to anybody, (laughs) but in my Mm -hmm. mind, I needed to prove to everybody that I was successful. It's as if when I hear you talking, it's as if I picture you being an eight year old, a 10 year old, an 18 year old, in that really lovely community, which we're in now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of people knowing your family story. Right. So you're not that far off having a script in your head of what a, what a community of people, because you are a loved family. Your young family and even your family now, they're a loved family and they're a known family. And so, and that was, your father's death was known across the community and supported across the community. So I picture like, the, the burden of that, that little version of yourself now as a young adult, 21, mm-hmm. making a decision based off of, you know, 10 years right. ago or that little girl. Like as so interesting. That guy is speaking in my head. I'm like, wow, like I'm a year away from graduating and then I could be three years away from making six figures. So in four years, I can be successful. Mm. <laughs> it's so funny to think about it that way now. But that's... So- I think all of us fall into that. Yeah. Mostly if we're choosing college. We're choosing typically college and putting ourselves through that and putting the financial burden on us for college. Right. Some it's not a burden, but here nor there. It's still an it's still a cost. Time, money, and effort. So why wouldn't we choose here in America? Yeah. To make sure we're getting the biggest bang for our buck. The return on investment right. should be pretty big. The ROI. Mm-hmm. So I did. So I I picked my emphasis in business management and got an internship through ASU. I had two internships, one in radio, and then after that I did one in um, TV cable advertising and they ended up offering me a job like a week before graduation and I was like mm. see it's all coming together yeah. that's what hey, I thought if it's an open you know? door it must be a door you should walk right. through so I was like well this makes sense mm. so I accepted that job I took like a week off between graduation and starting full-time and then that was it man it was like off to the races starting a week after graduation I was in sales for 19 years wow um, selling cable advertising then I moved to um I worked at Fox Sports selling advertising in Arizona for a year. And then we moved back to Michigan and I got a job at a radio station and that was awesome. And then the economy kind of took a dump in 2009 Mm -hmm. and my brother was in medical sales and he's like, Hey, people are always going to continue to get sick. Like it's a very uh, secure, secure field and and that sounded good to me like a secure field and I had already known mm, I was just gonna ask this yeah next. Jesus still was not in my daily decisions but I had already known that I had kind of sold myself or like made that sacrifice of giving up what I loved 
but I'd always told myself, but you're still in radio. Like I still got to write scripts. I still got to like record some commercials mm. every now and like doing the things that I enjoyed about broadcasting. I, I still got to do those. Um, without feeling like a complete sellout. Mm. But to me, like going into the medical sales was totally a sellout. Like I was like, now I, you're doing nothing that mm. you love. You're totally just in this for security. Um, but I told myself, just do it for a year. Just do it for a year. The economy gets better and then you'll find something mm. else. So I did. So I, I, I put myself out there. I found like a recruiter found me. I got an awesome job in medical device with an awesome company. Um, and I told myself I'd give it a year and then I stayed for 12 years. Right? Yes. Yeah. So you knew in your gut, give it a year, meaning your language, you were selling out. You were not doing what your heart's desire was. Oh, I totally felt Or maybe like even a, why God yeah. made you. Like what yes. he thought, hey, I, I gave you these talents and these gifts. So if I gave you these talents and gifts, daughter, I promise I'll provide for you. Yeah. But I didn't think about that. No, no. We're not thinking about that at all. No. no. I thought, huh. I'm in, I was selling radio advertising in 2009, 100% commission. Like that's what okay. a lot of radio yeah. salespeople are, 100% commission. And, you that's know, one of my, I worked with Pontiac, you know, Pontiac dealerships. And Pontiac went out of business. So there was. Wow. Yeah. It was just. I couldn't stay where I was. I didn't want to stay where I was. I was working so hard mm. for like things had just shifted. And I had two babies. So in 2009, I had my second baby and I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So yeah, I switched over to different type of sales, to different type but of not sales. to what you're right. passionate about. Right. And now you're real knee deep in security because you have a family, you've got two kids. Right. And so you know, you, this is my story too. You get into this family agreement of what it's going to look like to keep it up or to keep protecting and providing for our kids. It's it's yeah. just this constant. Totally felt like a sellout though. Because now I was mm. like, at least before I could pretend like I was still in the field that I loved, even mm. though I hated selling. But now I was like, now I got, I'm, now I'm just. Now I'm knee deep. Now in, I'm knee deep. I'm a salesperson. <laughs> and that's what I put on the form me. at the doctor's office. Saleswoman. Sales. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Sales. That's what all I would write. Just sales. What do you do? Sales. Okay. <laughs> and when I think of you and I, when I met you and be, your reputation that preceded you was how dynamic and your personality and you're a performer and I would have never known you were in sales. But I also understand we can hold both. We can have hobbies and we can have yeah. interests and then we can also our living can support our hobbies and our passions. And that's totally appropriate. That's fine. But um, you exude performance. That's sweet. <laughs> you do. And so it's funny because even the lies that I heard you talk about, like, who am I to be on air? Like, that's such a prideful, arrogant thought. It's like, no, that's a desire or any part in front of or in front of the camera or, you know, radio uh, or behind the scenes, you know, so often that desire that God puts in our belly, it gives us some tenacity and it gives us some audacity to step into it. But then the opposing vo voices in this world and fears of other and the scripts of other people that we project on each other. I'm sure I do it to my, <laughs> my own kids as they're making decisions. And uh, it's like, who do you think you are? 
what you, you think you're all that being right. on camera you think you're all that whatever and it's like that is almost a compliment feeding our wait a second if i'm having this pushback i wonder if it's because it's exactly what i should be doing um so anyway it just can get so complicated yeah and and yeah so you're like being honest uh that you spent you know a decade and a half doing things or more. Yeah, 19 doing, years. 19 years, right? So 20 years, practically two decades of what you didn't really want to right. be doing. Now, I do want to go ahead to the time that you, and when we met, you, because I had already resigned from mm-hmm. my yeah. career. So you met me uh-huh. like right after I retired, resigned from my passion and my dream job as uh, in, in education as an elementary principal at that time. And uh, I could tell that you were you were mentioning more and more as the years went on, like, I've got to stop. I just don't know what to do. It was interesting. So I started, our family started following Jesus probably like hmm, 2010, maybe. So already a year into this new sales job. Mm. Um, and, and this... Pretty quickly after starting to follow Jesus, I realized that I realized the fears that got me to the point where I was. Like I realized mm. what it was, the security and the success, the yeah, the wanting to be successful. Well, I and mean, to prove yourself. Right. For your own for my own provisions and family, but also to prove everybody that you're right. okay. And I, that I started revealing came itself. to that realization real early on in okay. my journey with Jesus. And he's so good like that. So good. So good, but I was like, okay, now that I know, okay, so I started praying. I was like, well, then take me out of this. Like, yeah. this is not where you intended me to be, I don't think, or this is not what I was designed to do necessarily. Mm. So, okay, now that I'm aware of that, Lord, do what you will. Like, yeah. Um, and then he, I didn't ever, I didn't feel called out of mm. what I was doing. Um, like I even applied for a couple positions at church because I was mm-hmm. like, I don't care. I'm ready to let go of, you know, um, the, monetarily. The, yeah. The the paycheck and, and take something significantly smaller if that's what the Lord wants me to do. Like I had had all these conversations with God about it and then he didn't call me out. Mm. Um, so, but instead what was really neat is that he changed my perspective on my job. I didn't end up hating it as much. It became more of a function of almost like fundraising for my life. I think Bob mm. Goff says that in one of his books, how he talks about like his job is just fundraising for life. That's good. So it stopped being my identity at some point um, because I had so much of my identity wrapped up in being successful. Like I was able to kind of sever the ties between my success in my career and who I was as a person, which was super helpful. Um, and then even though the Lord didn't call me out of the job and into something else that was fulfilling, he brought other things into my life that were like filling those voids. That's good. Um, like Kaleo, which is a performing arts, um, program through the church. Like I got involved with them and started teaching and directing and, and that was a part-time job that I was doing on the side and to watch the Lord come in and take care of my full-time job that was paying the bills while I was having all this fun on the side was just that's good such a blessing and there mm. was multiple things like that where God was like I know I'm not calling you out right now S- stay in it mm. but I'm gonna bring all these other things that are gonna fill up your bucket and 
And he, it was just, yeah, I remember you naming that and calling it out. Like you were, you were becoming more comfortable because it seemed like you were trusting his divine wisdom for, and just, I'll, I'll, I'll just bring everything to me and I'll talk to you about timing and open Mm -hmm. doors and closed doors. You did seem to have that sense of contentment in the waiting of what might be next. But I was, I mean, there was definitely times when I'd get impatient, like, okay, Lord, I'm really, really tired of this job and, and all of the stress that comes along with, you know, maintaining six figures plus. Yeah. So yeah. And he was just so faithful to me in, in every time I, at work, things would get super stressful. Something would happen. A shakeup would happen. I'd get a new manager. My territory would be, something would happen that would allow me to sustain it a little longer. Mm. Um, and I don't know. He's just so good. I don't know why he wanted me there, but that's where he had yeah. me. And in turn, like I really did learn to love that job because I love the people that I worked with. Yes. And it allowed a lot of freedom for me to be around for my girls because I was essentially working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd be out in the field, but I could plan my own days. Yeah. So I never had to miss things that the girls were, my girls were involved when with. When you talk like that, it makes me think of how such a beautiful heavenly father we have. He's such a provider, even if we went down a path he didn't ask us to go mm-hmm. down or invite us into. He's like, but I'm going to flip the script. I'm not going to let these almost 20 years be wasted. Yeah. There's no shame. There's no guilt. He We're works, human. He works all things for good for those Always. who love him. And that's how I felt. Like, And I knew that eventually I would be called out. And mm-hmm. I was. Yeah. And when I was, it was such divine timing that... <laughs> it really was. I just know that that was the plan. I don't yeah. know why I was supposed to be there for 12 years, but I'm thankful for it because that's it provided right. for my family. It gave me uh, a lot of autonomy to mm-hmm. be with my kids when I needed to be. It was... I can look back on that in such fondness now, which is so funny because a year in, I was so desperate to be done with it. Mm, Um, I love that. That's how good God is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to close your section up with when you did decide to step out. And I knew that there was some fear factors there. What had to bet on the wheel of fear, like, okay, man, I'm going to spin this wheel. And as soon as it comes up, I'm out. I just remember you having to be like, I got to put this out in the environment. Mm-hmm. I've got to name it. Right. I've so, got to finally say it. And that was how it was. Once I finally, some things came up again, the way that they do every couple of years at work. And um, when this time it just settled differently. When things settled, I felt like it was time. I don't know. I can't. Yes. It's not like I heard an audible word no, it's from a the divine Lord knowing. Saying, it was just a divine knowing. Like, I think, I think it's time. Yeah. I think that, I think it's time. Um, and then I just like leaned into that and started praying about it. And then, um, once I just decided that I felt like it, that's really what I was hearing. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to speak it out. So I did, I was, and I was at lunch with some random friends and it's <laughs> yeah. like, Hey guys, guess what's going on with me? I'm going to quit my job in a couple of months. And yeah, I had to speak it out. Though. That's the right. first people that I told. And, and then it just kind of, that's what community snowballed. is beautiful for. It's like, I'm going to hold this with you. And it's like some gentle, mm-hmm accountability right. and like just kind of encouragement encouragement because it as much as there's a divine knowing we still have a soul that has a mind a will and emotion sure. and is still holding on to some things that we don't need to be holding on to anymore so that's what's beautiful about community walking alongside these steps yeah 
So, mm. and then even just how it transpired that, you know, I gave my notice and I had, since I had been there for 12 years and I had a territory that I really wanted to hand over, um, I didn't want to like blow things up when I left. The company had been Leave so good to me. Right. Yeah. I wanted to do it right. Um, so I think I gave my notice in January and I said I'd stay till the end of March and that I would help train somebody if they could find somebody in time, like to just hand over the territory mm-hmm. to them. And then, well, you know how the story goes, but the day after I told my uh, bosses that I was leaving, I was at the national, our national sales meeting. Um, and I had prayed there's a prayer in my journal. Mm, that's yeah, you did. You looked through the journal before we literally a few days before I even gave my resignation, I prayed about the person that would take my job, like who would come along mm. that would love the job um, and that it would you know, bless the way that it blessed me. And then um, the day after I gave my resignation, um, I get a text message from a girlfriend who had just been laid off, who was looking for a medical device sales job. And I was like, man, come on. I know. Yes. My initial reaction was not that. We've talked about that. Yes. My initial reaction was yeah. like clinging on to like, this is mine. But then I was But like, that's again, that's fears that's right. and possibly limiting beliefs as to what is possible. Yes. We're thinking about what other people are thinking about. We're thinking, and it's good to honor the company. It's good to, but truly what might be really there is what might they think, how, what might be discovered. Uh, they're going to notice this, that, and the right. other thing, my weaknesses. And it becomes like super vulnerable to, to step into the space you are. And yet, what I love about this part of the story is that you did it anyway. It took courage, which means fear was present. Fear is a good thing, typically, if we hold it carefully and loosely with Jesus. Yeah. He informs us. And then you prayed. Instead of exhausting your mind on just simply the fear... You exchanged that and turned it into a prayer and got the most perfect person mm. on behalf of the company. Yeah. It blessed the company yep. and it blessed our friends. And it blessed me because I'm like, you. man, I can see what the Lord is doing here. And it it's just so beautiful the way that it all worked out. And mm. I'm so thankful that I was finally released from that and... Yeah, man. So that was yeah. 19 years of sales. And yes. so I figure like, what am I, like I think about it in chunks of time. So that was almost 20 years of my career. And maybe I've got another 20 years left of doing, you know, I'm sure I've got more than, I don't know what I have, yeah, yeah. whatever I have, but I'm talking about like retirement age and yes. things like that because I'm 42. So like, what can I do in the next 20 years if mm-hmm. I'm afforded another 20 years? That's right. That's right. Um, and it's exciting. And how so different, and this is where you and I, so we see this together because of our journeys, um, how it's like, it isn't about financial. It isn't about false sense of security, self-protection, self-promotion, like what might be people, you know, what might people think? It's like, God, what do you want for me? What mm. did you design me to do in this next season? What do you what are your desires? What are you excited about? What do you see that I don't see? Um, you know, he wants us to be thoughtful with an income, but he doesn't want income to be number one. Right. And so show me what you desire and I'll go for it. And if you give me the vision, you're gonna give me the provisions. And to be able to hold our days and how we show up in the world, what we do mm-hmm. in our days, what we do for a living, what our career is, my goodness, that's a much freer place to be. Yeah. Even if he calls you into exactly like this 40-hour-a-week career, 
you're going to just know it comes from him. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pray this into existence now. Lord, give us the vision, or give us the provision so that you can work for Abundantly Me and we can keep working together <laughs> right? and you can continue in broadcasting. <laughs> Look at that, full circle. But I do see the giftings in you. I do see broadcasting. I do see... Um, choreography and the way your mind works. And I want to fan those flames as much as I want you to walk alongside with what you do see God is doing through Abundantly Me. I also want the fullness of Laura and the fullness of Jesus to be manifested into this world because that'll be like a double blessing. It just is so amazing for all of you to show up. And I've been blessed by it. And so we are blessed by however much you're able to do, mm. you know, work alongside me. Well, um, but isn't it so freeing? It's awesome. I mean, you're a gift because you push me to do things that I'm uncomfortable <laughs> doing. Sweaty armpit <laughs> modes. <laughs> yes. Sweaty. Let's talk about me a little bit more. Uh, audience, just in case uh, you want to be aware, she is dripping with sweat from head to toe. This <laughs> <laughs> <Just> my armpits. <laughs> Tara, has... makes me do... Tara makes me do nervous things. No, but she does it not is make really me. Great. But you, I love I it encourage. because you do encourage me. And, and The sweatier the pits, the, the more the direction I know Gosh. we're going in the right direction. No, I need that though. I do need that. I need people like that in my life. My husband Julio is like that too. Like yeah, he pushes he me to do things that make me uncomfortable, mm. but he knows that I will enjoy doing. Yes. And yeah, you really are gifted in these areas that you have not fully stepped into. And I think it's just yet to be discovered. And yeah, baby, you are surrounded by people who love you, who are going to continue to speak that into existence over, you know, over you. And um, so it'll be fun to see where we go together and where he takes you independently. Um, So, and I'll just close this segment up. The, the, just the joy in the little things, even helping Cairo's farm, which just brings it full circle to why you wrote farm and farm hand right. and farmer. Um, but you, oh my goodness. I remember you had tears in your eyes. You were paid, I mean, appropriately so, but you, it had nowhere near six figures. <laughs> you were down to an hourly salary mm-hmm. and working your hind end off and you were so happy. Mm. You're like, I don't, almost like you're like, I don't deserve to, or is it going to go away? I mean, you were just so content. Oh, and it was such a gift. So for anyone who's listening, that's after I left my job at the end of March. In April, I started working um, at a friend's um, farm, this beautiful couple, yes. Kairos Farm. Um, and they needed- Shout out. Shout out. They needed Kairos some farm. help. Um, basically just- uh, it was a lot of manual labor, yeah, a lot of weeding and digging and planting. It was awesome. I learned so much. And I so I worked there all summer. And it was such a gift with the animals and mm. being outside every day. Yeah. Yeah, that was such a gift. You just, I don't know. I just saw such a sparkle. And you just felt like the Lord was loving you tremendously. And it did not have a dollar, you know, mm-hmm. a dollar amount type of success or a prideful, like, I'm a farmer, you know, it was it's just like, like, I'm a farm hand. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. I'm I don't own the farm. <laughs> manual laborer. Yes. And I loved it. It was such a gift. Yeah, I just received was. that. Yeah. Um, 
and the way that worked out was so divinely Mm -hmm. beautiful too that that's just where I ended up and it was a beautiful healing place for me to stop the striving of being in sales and take a break and just even the word striving yeah there was no striving no it was just like pure delight so yeah, going back to my decision and it was not to go to college. I mean, it was to go to college because everyone was going to college, but my family were not college goers. Um, and I don't need to get into all that, but like there wasn't a lot of examples. And um, I came from a single parent uh, household as well. My mom, just such a champion, raising three kids practically on her own. And, um, yeah, like I was stuck in this poverty mindset, literally by national standards, we were, um, poverty level and I, I was the youngest of three, my brother, four years older than me, I'm stepping into high school. He's going into college. So he was the first example of, oh, the shook kids go to college maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, that was my maiden name. And um, my mom was always an encourager. She always tried to see what our giftings and speak in, speak that speak that out, and and just she would always say, "Oh, you know, you're you guys are um, smart, beautiful, and capable. Smart, beautiful, and capable." Well, she flipped the script on what she was told her upbringing. She was told the complete opposite, and um, and so she just continued to speak good into me, but I did not. I mean, I was a failing student. I had a, I do not mind saying it nowadays because I totally flipped script. Thanks to Jesus. But I had a 1.8 GPA at some point in my, uh, during my, uh, high school. And the only reason I knew that was because I saw my high school document, like a report card Uh in my bins, you know, in the attic. And I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) I was so in the fog of at risk. Mm. And, and trauma and sadness, not having, my dad was alive, but he didn't, he didn't have the capability. And I say this with all due respect, because I think our parents always do the best that they know. They give what they have. So, um, but my dad didn't want to be a dad, you know? And so I, I, you know, I didn't have language for it, but I was just a, you know, a, like, what am I going to do? I, I, I didn't even think about my thinking. I didn't think about what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I was always in day in and day out survival mode. And the thing that was the most blessed, <laughs> that I blessed myself by the most is if I was popular, if I was surrounded by people, if I was having fun. And, and then also, um, so those people were, oh, and I was going to say sports, you know, playing soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did not think of college until it was time to think everyone else was talking about college and they took their ACTs or SATs. I didn't even bother. I didn't even bother to take college entrance exams. Um, and, and my school didn't have expectations because I was K-12 literally labeled and tracked an at-risk student. And it means at risk of being successful and at risk of not graduating, at risk of, you know, all the things. Mm -hmm. So I was easy to just let my mind um, believe those lies. And and it wasn't a lie. I mean, I was failing. 
but it's a lie based on God and how he made me. And I too, I was not raised in, in church or with any other faith. Um, it was really just what you have is what you have mm-hmm. and you don't have very much. So total poverty mindset. Um, and then there was just this switch that flipped and I thought, well, I'm not going to go off to college, but I can play soccer. And I had some, you know, an aunt and, uncle, aunt and uncle who lived near a community college that took me on as a soccer player and gave me a little bit of money um, so that I, I, so I went to a community college and that felt right. And I loved children. I wanted to either be a child psychologist because of just what I felt like I needed growing up, Mm, what it would have been, mm -hmm. it would have been nice to have. I mean, there were counselors and I went to counselors. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) I gave them a run for their money. (laughs) I just told them what I thought I need, they needed to hear. And I just wasn't interested, but deep down inside, I did love that people were there to care when I needed adults. I Mm -hmm. needed a village. My mom needed a village of people. So I thought like being a teacher or being a child psychologist was part of like being a village around a child. Yeah. I loved, I liked that. I felt like that was the fire in my belly. Now I also loved arts. I also loved performance. And I also really wanted to go to Hollywood and be an actress. Like, yeah. come on now. I'm not going to lie. Those thoughts came into my mind. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm like, that looks like so much fun and so freeing and, <clears throat> and all the things, you know, but for some reason, I did not pursue, I did a little acting in high school, but it wasn't, the w- language I'd use now is I didn't have that yeah. fire in my belly enough to actually move on it. Mm-hmm. If I moved on it, I'd care. If I didn't move on it, that's probably indication enough. So, and there wasn't anything else that was entering into my life that kind of gave me a hint. So, speaking of that, I did have teachers and I did a few, not a lot. But the few stood out. And then I also had a principal or a couple principals who were just like father figures to me. They were amazing. And um, that made a difference. That that probably spoke in um, at some level in my psyche. So community college. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, what is this? I can actually think. I can learn. I am like... There would be an assignment in front of me in high school, and I literally didn't even know how to navigate the page. Mm. I'm like, what do I do with this? I I mean, I was so in an at-risk fog Mm. and trauma fog and just stuck in my own moment that I didn't even know. I will never forget the day in high school, in in college, probably class one, assignment one, and I too was out of my house. I think that's an important step. I see that with my kids as well. I was living with my aunt and uncle, so I was in someone else's house, but I still wasn't in my own four walls I grew Mm -hmm. up in. I think that also made a difference. No disrespect to our households, but no disrespect to mine now either. (laughs) I'm, I'm encouraging that with the kids. But I just remember looking at the document, looking at the first assignment and like, dude, Tara, just start at the top. (laughs) <laughs> just start at the top. <laughs> just read the first set of directions. Just put your name on the paper. <laughs> You're going to be okay. <laughs> and then I'm like, what? How do I like, so it's just this, this huge shift. And then it was on. And I became an honor student. Mm. I, I like 
took the ball. I mean, it was my my ball. It was my response. It was my game. It was my effort. It was my everything. It was all about my, um, what word am I looking for? Just control. Mm -hmm. I all of a sudden realized it's my life. I have control over it. Now get her done. Mm -hmm. Go get it. And I had a taste for success. And it wasn't motivated by money, which is shocking because I chose teaching. <laughs> uh, no money there. <laughs> um, I I like literally teared up when I first got my teaching paycheck. And I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway, but it was very <laughs> worth it. Uh, but I wasn't motivated by money. I just wanted to make a difference. And yet I didn't know what was manifesting also as I was succeeding and setting goals and achieving goals and I just all of a sudden had a brain, and like had a had a intellectual capability that I started to prize, and I started to realize, like, wow, I am, dare I say, smart. Hmm. Wow. Now I'd say it on one side, and then the other side, I was always dumb as a box of rocks. Um, and yeah, so I was in education, and so often just the fire in my belly people caught on to they caught on to my passion I loved kids I just wanted to like I wanted to die in a like I wanted to be an old lady in an elementary classroom like you're gonna have to move my carcass out of here Mm. I am so in love with what I do I could care less about how much I make Uh, I could care less about I mean I just was so excited to serve Mm. in this capacity and then other people would see qualities in me that I didn't yet see in myself. Because that poverty mindset was with me for a long time. And so people would, you know, my bosses or other people in education would see things and start asking me to be part of different things. And then I realized my identity and my value and my worth, like, this, I am loved. I am valued. Maybe for the, my mom loved me, but she was also working multiple jobs. So there wasn't a lot of like the presence of a family in the household. I had two older brothers and me. Mm-hmm. We were all pretty fractured and gone our own, went our own way. This was like family. This was connection. This was, I'm important. I'm valued. My mind and my heart is valued and uh, I just kept climbing the ladder and just reaching goals and achieving them. And I moved into being a principal and I like, this was it. This was Mark Twain says that one of his famous quotes, the two most important days of our lives are the day we're born and the day we learn why. And I'm like, this is my why. Mm -hmm. This is my why. There's nothing wrong with that. But it wasn't until the Lord called me out in 2015 that I realized, oh my goodness, who am I now that I'm not labeled mm-hmm. and have the um, principal and the teacher and I'm this fighter for the world of public education, this warrior for at-risk kids. Like, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to function. I barely know how to breathe without that identification. And what was crazy, which is why I asked you some of these questions, is because God, pretty much by the time I was having kids, he was already starting to talk to me about quitting. Mm. And I couldn't hear it. 
Like, why would you give me such a fire in my belly? I mean, it's a flip scripper, script flipper. (laughs) I was an at-risk kid and now I'm the principal. I was a teacher and a principal of like these, because I typically chose to work in difficult environments because I wanted to not let, I wanted to create a space where all learners mostly at risk who believe lies and limiting beliefs about their background and low socioeconomic status and trauma in the family and be like, yes, that's true. And now let's go get it. Mm -hmm. Let's go achieve. Let's go and not achieve on the types of things we're talking about, but like, you know, get those Christian values, by the way, that I adopted later in life as well. I didn't know God or Jesus, didn't have a clue of who the Holy Spirit was. Um, But I wanted to bring in those Christian values into a public education. So it was like, wait, why would you take me, your greatest advocate and the greatest advocate of at-risk students and take me out of this? That does not make any sense. And then, um, yeah, so it was, I ignored him over and over and over. He like, he made it more difficult. He made it almost unbearable. But I'm a fighter. <laughs> okay, you tell me I can't do something. I'm going to do it 10 times over. Uh, I'm going to do it. And um, it became clearer and clearer. My husband traveled for a living, does, as a pilot. And here I'm working 40 to 60 hours a week as a principal, making a big difference in the community that we live in now. But I wasn't as present as I needed to be for my kids, mm-hmm. even though my kids loved my job. They yeah. loved when I was a teacher and a principal. Um, but they also knew that I was tied to my job. And so I resigned in 2015. And that was the hardest, loneliest, most excruciating sitting with myself summer. Mm. All my staff, everyone, they're like, what are you going to do? Right? What do you, you have another job, don't you? And I'm like, well, I have other desires that I'm guessing God might be calling me into, but I'm telling you, and I told so, just like you told your boss, but you didn't say this here, but it was like a neat way of talking about how you follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And like you could tell your boss, I was telling my staff, which many of us were Christ followers, but community, anyone, my admin team, like, where are you going? What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm all I can tell you, you said what God, what little hints were you I, given? To tell your boss because of like Holly taking over the job. Right. And I even before Holly even texted me about the job, and he was basically telling me I was crazy for leaving mm-hmm. my boss because mm-hmm. um, we were also really good friends. I yeah, we were in the same region together for years, and then he got promoted. So it was like my best friend at work became my boss. I mean, that's a great yes, situation. Us too. Yeah. So he was he could be very plain with me, like, where are you going to go that you <laughs> yes. have this great of a situation? And I was like, I don't know yet, but I am super excited to find out, and I believe that it's going to be better for me. It's going to be mm. better for you. It's going to be better for the person that comes and takes my job. Like, Girl, it's all you prophesied. You spoke gonna that work in. out. It's all going to work out. Yeah. And he told me I sounded like a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. <laughs> I was like, but that's God for you. Like, yeah. just wait. Let's, let's, let's see what and happens. And you said that. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's what I did too. Yeah. And I wasn't, it wasn't easy for me to be vocal because at that time I wasn't yeah. as vocal. I was only vocal about my love for Jesus mm-hmm. with other Jesus followers. Yeah. And the more freaky you were, the more that I would speak <laughs> into it. But I was not, it was not something 
I, it wasn't easy for me to talk about God, but definitely not Jesus. Right. And people, you're walking away from an amazing situation. I'm sure people are looking at you like I'm cuckoo. You're crazy. Yeah. Like, why would you step away at the height of your career? Truly. In all this amazing success that you have, Tara, why would you walk away from that? Oh, Especially when you love what you do. Love it. I'm sure it made no sense. My husband was involved. My kids were involved. It just, I, all I could keep saying is, I'm just, I can't remember the language any, any more specifics, but I have to look back at journals. But I was just like, I'm following God. God is just, I just, I don't know, but I know I'm being obedient. I know that God wants me to be aware of something or I'm, anyway, it was something like I'm following God. <laughs> because there was no, here's the thing, y'all. This is what drives me bonkers when other people get a little bit of a taste of what is on the other side that rarely is my interaction with God. Normally, between he and I, it's like faith and action, like trust in God is faith and action. Meaning, I'm Tara, I'm not going to show you. Mm. Daughter, I'm sorry. You can't handle this truth. You can't handle, for glory or not, you can't handle what I know. Because God goes before us and he comes back and he wants to walk with us, thanks to the personal relationship with Jesus. And I'm like, but can't you give me something? Because it, to me, was like I was walking, you know, Wile E. Coyote mm-hmm. cartoons, um, Roadrunner. Uh-huh. I, I mean, viscerally felt like I was stepping off a cliff that had no bottom. <laughs> you know, like just the, the cartoon just kept going and going until there was a puff of smoke. That's how it <laughs> felt to me. <laughs> That's a great visual. <laughs> Except for when you're taking a step <laughs> off the cliff. And I'm like, what? Nobody understood it. We were, you know, crying over this. What are what is happening? I don't understand. Like, we all work so hard together. We've all made this huge shift in this at-risk environment. And it wasn't even about me. I like just lifted up the staff. It was all about the staff. I mean, I worked with some stunning, like amazing, amazing teachers. And uh I just love serving them at that capacity. And we all were like devastated. I mean, I was bawling my eyes out trying to articulate this to the staff and then to other people over time. It was just like, man, I'm following God. I, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Again, I had other dreams and desires, maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe what God's calling me into, but it was not known whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So that summer, I just sat and I read scripture really intentionally, probably not my first time, but like with real intention, which cracks me up when I see notes in my Bible now. That's 2015, we're 2023. Mm-hmm. And like his voice has just been amplified. I get scripture and then I'm like, I don't, I don't understand half the stuff I'm reading, but I'm just, this is the only place I can go to make sense mm-hmm. um, out of, you know, what is what I'm going through. So identity, I had my worth in my job, in my label, in writing proudly, and it was a six-figure job practically, benefits included Mm -hmm. in everything, and I I loved writing. I'm an elementary principal. Mm -hmm. I am living my dream. I love it. And um, I think it's important to say that God knew not only crazy land what kind of things I'm doing now in ministry of all things talking about flipping the script like did not know I would be screaming Jesus from the rooftops um unapologetically typically 
but that my family, my son in particular, and then later my other son, I have three sons, and I, I had no idea how much one of my kids, and my one kid means way more than the field of education, than, you know, 400 kids in a building or however many there were, 300 or whatever. My God loves the one. Mm-hmm. And he directed me back into the quiet of my home so that I could feel the heartbeat and be present and fight a battle that would take a hundred percent of my attention. And that is that is the favor, that is the protection and the provision we are afforded when we follow, when we care to listen, even if it's a fractional amount and even if it's 10 or 20 years delayed, there's such favor over our lives when we listen to what God wants us to do um, in the moment or even for a career. Mm-hmm. And he saved me, changing my career saved, I really believe it saved my son's life. Mm. And and then and then again, he's has me in a new career and then it changes again. And so now all I want to put on doctor's paperwork is I'm a, I just follow Jesus. <laughs> I'm just a little traveling disciple. What do you do? I follow Jesus. <laughs> yes. I follow Jesus. What do you do? <laughs> and who do you follow? <laughs> That's what we should say now. So who do you follow? Who do you follow? Yes. Who influences your thinking? Who are your influencers? <laughs> Actually, that is what we say today. <laughs> And what we're trying to do is encourage people to let God, um, to just to let Jesus be the number one influencer in our lives and he will direct our path. Yeah. So I give you so much credit because I mean, it's hard to leave, it's hard to, to leave a situation and, and step into the unknown, um, but it's especially hard when you love what you do. Like I was, mm. I had been waiting for eleven years. Yes, <laughs> since the first year, <laughs> yes. uh, mm. for God to call me out of it. And so I was, you know, I was nervous and I was a little scared, but I was ready and mm. and thankful for it. But man, I can't imagine loving what you do the way that you did, and then being called out the way Oof. you were. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. But I love my sons. I love my family. And truly, I love God in a way out of pure personal relationship kind of love, like heavenly father kind of love, like what I would want from my a relationship with a dad now. Mm. Can you imagine, right? No, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I'm not going to cry, anybody. Put your tissues away. But the desire of our heart to have a father figure to be able to like call on the phone and just and just say, hey, I need your advice. I, I think I want to do this, this. What do you think? And then to have the father know you so well, to say, and to trust our autonomy and our decision-making to empower us, because that's what a great father does. He doesn't control us. He gives us that final choice on our own, but he just guides us and gives us such wisdom. And we just have to call him and say, hey, dad, what do you think? And I don't get, I don't have that. I don't even know what the, I have mm-hmm. a couple friends who may have a dad, but they don't call their dad for that. I have a couple friends who can call their dad in this way. And I, I may feel a twinge of jealousy, but 99.999% of the time, I'm like, I have that too. Mm. 
I have that too. Like I get to sit every morning and then if I need to call him in the middle of the night and if I need to call him mm-hmm. in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. I get to call my heavenly father and get his divine wisdom for what I do. Mm-hmm. What do you want me to do in this situation? And what do you want me to do for a career? Come on Come now. on now. Come we on. all get that. Yeah. We Regardless of our father situation here on earth, we all have that. <sighs> that flips the script. Something it serious. It sure does. Doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, my friend. I think that's it. Anything else we need to like pick around oh at this what do you do thing? <laughs> so good. I feel like we spent way more time on me. <laughs> well, that's because being the life coach that I am. I know. With all your questions and your digging. Yeah. That's because, uh, yeah, I knew that as we held space for each other, what I wanted, the goodness that I knew You're sweet. you had to offer. And then I've shared mine so many times, they don't need to hear from me anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's so neat to hear both. And and I do want to close before we do the Wheel of Fear. Before we do that segment, I hope it's not me again, but I do feel led to invite listeners to please share this with high school and early college kids. And I know we tend to interact with people our age. And as a life coach, I have a few that are young adults. Uh, A few of my clients are young adults. And a lot of my clients, I mean, I do talk to adult women in their late 30s and men, kind of, in their 40s and 50s that want to do a career change and they want to, they are leaning into what you and I are saying. Mm -hmm. Anytime I talk about this topic, people really have like aha moments. But I'm also inviting listeners to please, please, please forward this to young adults um, late high school, early college, like, yeah, man, let's flip the script on right? what we think let's is not success. Let fears dictate mm-hmm. our choices and yeah. And if you're a parent like you and I are, but definitely me in this season, take note, like what language are we using with our kids? Are we coming from a place of fear when we're talking about grade point average, when we're talking about what... Like, my son wants to be a police officer and a detective. I'm sorry. That's wackadoo. In today's day, that's super scary. And um, yet, because we follow God, and because he's an earlier follower, he has this sense, he has a fire in his belly. We can tell. Mm -hmm. And he changed his career from, uh, he changed his major, and we gave him that leverage, like that freedom to do it. And man, we can tell he has a fire in his belly for it. Our next son in college isn't 100% sure, maybe business, but we're trying to learn from our own stories. Right. And so to leave freedom and flip the script on what we think is the American perspective of success, sometimes built on competitiveness or fear or comparison or limiting beliefs Mm -hmm. so there's just so many people I think that can benefit from this conversation today for sure I sure could have (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) yes the younger version of ourselves Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, well you get to pay it forward to your two girls yeah there you go and hopefully the pendulum doesn't swing too far the other side (laughs) where I'm like yeah great whatever it doesn't matter it's all gonna work out It's such a balance. (laughs) There is, which is why we never have to worry if we truly as parents, as the one shifting our career or the young one going into 
um, college, if we're just teaching ourselves and others to go to God with it. Absolutely. That that's, sense of peace and release is it. Right it is there. a secret sauce. It, it lets us all hold mm-hmm. it loosely so that the pendulum doesn't swing too far right. either way. So good. Great combo, friend. <sighs> Thanks, man. For... What a great podcasting voice you so have. Good. This was great. Lovely. Today was great. Wasn't it great? All right, are you ready for I'm the? Ready. We're gonna rock paper scissors for the wheel, wheel of fear. To see who goes. Okay. All right. <clears throat> we actually need to say like rock paper scissors. I don't think we're even saying that. So. Okay. <laughs> I hope I'm, I don't. I'm going paper. <laughs> ready? Here we go. Rock, rock paper, paper scissors, scissors shoot. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Tara went paper. Oh, I went scissors. I you heard of me. You totally believe you. I want to see you. You mind tricked me. And I didn't even, I picked, this is unfair. That took a lot of mental like thinking too for me to say paper and then to shoot scissors. (laughs) I picked paper because you planted the seed of paper. It works. I don't want to go again. (laughs) I can't believe you Julioed me. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I have to go again. But I don't want to go, so I'm gonna let you go. (laughs) That's such manipulation. You know I have hypersomnia. (laughs) You know I have a brain disease. I know, I'm not proud of it, Tara. (laughs) I have a brain disease and you manipulated my mind. (laughs) Okay, whatever. I'm a good sport. I follow the rules. Oh my goodness. The timing is ridiculous. <laughs> the timing is ridiculous. Man. All right, we'll share. Share with us. I don't want to go again. Uh, okay. So, speaking of idiopathic hypersomnia, there is a Facebook group that I found when I was first diagnosed. And I'm like, what in the world? First of all, I don't even know. It's not a shocker. I don't know how to spell. It's a really hard word to spell. <laughs> Idiopathic hypersomnia. Like, I hadn't even heard that phrase before, let alone trying to spell it. And so I'm researching it, and unfortunately, I'm like, oh my goodness, this just defines my entire, not defines, but this articulates much of what I've struggled with the majority of my life. <laughs> so I went onto Facebook and found a group that was to support those who have some degree of this diagnosis and it is the most depressing um group that I've ever interacted with because of being bedridden and because you can't use your mind like a um who's diagnosed with this they lose their jobs they lose their relationships uh, they might stay married, but it's um, usually struggle. They struggle. Um, they either choose not to have kids or they have kids and they can't parent because they have no energy and they're completely on a different cycle than their children, young children or the necessary attentiveness that's needed for teens and all that. It's bad, 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 bad. And I thought, this is my future. Mm-hmm. Like this is... Because I was living into some of that. It was rearing its head um, and took a hold of me uh, in the, what, 2020? 
And um, was it 2020? Yeah. It was the winter of 2020. And I thought, oh my gosh, there was like a, there was a, um, I felt good that maybe someone was naming what I've been dealing with for so long. And then maybe there was medication that could actually help me. This was early, early stages. And this group wasn't helping me though. It was like validating and speaking into it, but it was actually speaking so much fear. Right. And like suicidal ideations, people wanting to, and anyway, it was bad. So I had to shut that off right quick. And I mean, because I follow Jesus, I do everything. We give Jesus not only our careers and what we do within a day, but we need to give them our diagnosis as well. And God, what do you want me to know? You made me. So... You don't make disease, but you're very well aware. And you're allowing anything and everything in that you think is only mm-hmm. for good. You will flip the script on everything. It's for good. It's for the good of me, the kingdom, others around me. So, man, I got to give this to you right quick. And that's when almost immediately I felt like, shut that down. Don't go the MD route. Listen to me. Like, Tara, take note. I promise you, you can follow me. I'll give you that, that internal also that, because we have the Holy Spirit. He's mm-hmm. within us. Mm-hmm. So we think it's our own voice. It's not. It's him. It's, it's God as Christ's followers. So this wheel of fear, this slice says, post in the group. Ooh. The last time I went back into the group to like share a little something And then I did it one other time when I was starting to feel better. Uh If anybody is light in this group, they usually get pounced on. Like we're false witnesses Mm. or we really didn't have hypersomnia to begin with. It's weird. They don't want any hope. It's very strange because I, when I was early diagnosed, I would get mad if people couldn't understand like what I was dealing with. Or I would be frustrated if people were like, I'm tired too. And I'm like, listen now, listen now. <laughs> okay. You don't know. It's not about your tiredness. Cause I, ty- you know, we all have a certain level of tired, which by the way, how I'm feeling today is a very normalized amount of tired that everyone feels. I, I love that. I'm celebrating that here's. So to get to the point to be light and to speak my truth, and to mm-hmm. share my testimony. So I did that one other time, probably, I, I can't wait to see the date, maybe a year ago. And there were some people, they were just like, and I did mention my faith. I mentioned diet, I mentioned my faith. And I did not want to deal with the skepticism and the doubters mm-hmm. and the hopelessness. But the Lord says, this is a great place for you to shine your light. Just speak your truth. And let go, you, you're not there to manage how they respond. Yeah. You're there just to be light. That's, that's, that's so practice. thanks for uh, that's... saying paper in the beginning. And it gave me a little <laughs> mind twist to, I chose paper because you said paper. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> or are you just bad at this game? <laughs> 50-50. <laughs> it's really either or, very even. I'm very bad, and I'm easily manipulated. Uh, that is 
great though. That's a great, that's a great. Well, my heart's pounding. Slice of fear. Um, it is a good thing to do. But isn't it weird that I'm nervous? Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. And I don't even know these people. Right. They're on Facebook for, for Pete's sake. Why do I care how they... Re- well, I do care about people. Yeah. That's part of my... I do care. I, know I don't want to make their yes. pain worse because I'm doing better. But, and, and maybe the ones that... I don't know. You never know who that light is going to touch, though, regardless of who's trying to snuff it out. So. Listen to the language. Did you hear what you just said? This is like a spiritual piece too, like just being the light in the world. Right. And people are going to try to snuff it out for whatever reason. But if we like let go of that reason and just be light, Mm -hmm. that's all we're asked to do. Amen. Even in this scary. That's good. I can't wait to hear how that goes. Yeah, I bet you can't. All right. All right. Well, I'll be reporting. (laughs) Bitterness is taking root. (laughs) Can't take it. Put that on your My wheel of fear. <laughs> inside. Can't take you being mad at me, Dad. Forget Put that me. on your wheel of fear. <laughs> All right, y'all. We're going to let you go and get on with the rest of your day. We are so glad you listened to this episode of the Abundantly Me podcast, where we flip the script on fear and exchange it for perfect love and truth. Want to stay in touch? Please consider subscribing. And if you would like to continue the conversation from an episode, go to AbundantlyMe.org to access our podcast group. And remember, when it comes down to it, the greatest way not to allow fear to be a liar, a limiter, or a liability is to first be loved by God. Then we can show up in life motivated by truth and love that sets us free. And we would love a virtual hug by sharing, liking, and leaving a review, which also allows others to learn about this free service.